Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Sound check? How's it doing? Okay. <clears throat> A little higher? No. I'm okay. I'm okay. You're okay. <laughs> We're all okay. <clears throat> I once asked, um, <clears throat> just reminds me, um, just a tangential thought going through my, my mind now. I, 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 I asked uh, Joseph when I first got into the practice, I had come from transcendental uh, meditation practice, and, and I said, is there any, any mantra in this practice? And he said, yeah, I can think of one. I said, oh yeah, tell me. He said, it's okay. <laughs> Whatever is happening, that's your mantra. It's okay. So we're all okay. <clears throat> so here we are, the um, second full day of practice. Mm. Just want to take a little um, check in the room. Uh, temperature check, barometer check, actually. B is better. Um, how many people have had some sleepiness? Take a look around. Uh, how about restlessness? Anybody ever feeling that? Yeah. Uh, aches in the body? All right. Yeah. Busy mind? You're doing great. Right on schedule. And <clears throat> although you've all done retreats before, it's, it's worth <clears throat> remembering that this is part of the process. <clears throat> Often we, we remember the, the last sitting of the last retreat when it was just, oh, so good. That's what gets you to sign up for the next one. But you forget the first few days often. And, um, and here we are in this settling in period, which is so much about <clears throat> patience and um, dedication and uh, just showing up as best you can without, without getting into any kind of judgment about how you're doing or how everyone else is doing. Of course, those judgments come, but that's also part of it. Anyone have judgments about their sitting? Maybe I should ask that too. Okay, all right. <clears throat> that, and that's our task, to just keep on showing up as best we can and let the Dharma take care of the rest. It's all part of the process. <clears throat> and tonight I wanted to talk a bit about how this process unfolds. Um, continuing on 
the talk that Don gave last night, that beautiful talk on faith. And I'm sure you were touched in your own way by how the Dharma has touched you and moved you, get you to signing up for this month-long or two months retreat. Um, and the, the list that I often like to share at the beginning of, of a retreat is one that, for me, describes how the process unfolds. And that is the uh, five spiritual faculties, one of my uh, favorite of all lists, because it really helps me understand just what we're doing and without thinking, am I doing it right or what comes next or whatever, you just keep on showing and there's a natural um, progression or development of practice over these days. And it takes, for most people, just want to remind you, it takes, for most minds, about three days to just settle in and land in the present moment. So this first part of the process is just putting in your time and trusting in the process. You've done retreats before enough so that you'd want to sign up for this. You know that something good comes from doing all of this. And these first few days are that kind of um, going to the gym. And if you haven't picked up weights for a while, your muscles are sore and it takes a while. And, uh, and we're fasting from stimulation. And so the mind takes a while to settle down and the body takes a while to um, to come here too, and all those places that were tight and holding, um, that were numb to us, start to become um, apparent. Those the places of tension that have been locked, and those are the first um, expressions of that tension. Oh, wow! It's not tight in here. It's not. Ooh, feel of that. Ooh, and it just over time, it starts to open up and loosen up. Mm -hmm. So this list of the five spiritual faculties, um, it can be taken in uh, one of two ways, perhaps more, but two that are kind of obvious. One is a list of balancing factors And another is this description of the linear progression of practice. I'll just mention first about that balancing and then go more into the the latter. So the five are faith, or as uh, Dawn was saying last night, other synonyms, trust and confidence and uh, conviction. Um, Faith and energy or effort, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. And as a list of balancing qualities, faith needs to be balanced by wisdom. If there's too much faith or uh, an overemphasis on the faith, 
and not enough wisdom, it turns into that blind faith that, uh, that she spoke of last night. There has to be a kind of discerning and seeing what is the truth here. But if there's more of an emphasis on just an analytical um, discernment of reality without that heart quality of faith, then it becomes dry and more cerebral and disconnected from the, the juice of practice. So faith and wisdom balance each other. They can be in balance. And then there's energy or effort and um, concentration. If there's more of an emphasis on um, energy and there's not enough of a, a stillness of mind, then it becomes restless and out of balance. And if there's more of a stillness, but not enough brightness, wakefulness of the energy, then one gets into a sinking mind and drifting and uh, dreamlike state very easily. And mindfulness is the factor that balances them all, as it does in every list that it's in. So you might just check and just see um, looking at those pairs, oh, is, do I need a little bit more juice? Do I need to connect in my heart with what really is moving me to practice? Or do I need to look more carefully and, uh, so that I see clearly things for myself? And is my energy out of balance with the quality of stillness or calming down? <clears throat> now I want to look at it in the more linear way. And of course, it's not a textbook kind of a thing that, oh, first you have faith, and then with enough faith, then you have the energy, and then it goes to... It, they're all a... It's a kind of hologram, but there is a, a general movement in a certain direction that, that makes sense to me. So... I'll just say a few words since Dawn gave such a uh, beautiful talk last night on faith. But this quality, sadha, um, to put your heart upon something, to wholeheartedly show up for your practice. We need some inspiration to want to even come here. And for you, you've uh, most likely had, have had your own verified faith that says, yeah, this is good stuff, and I, I want to deepen the practice. But we all go through that, first that bright faith, that inspiration that gets us to practice. And it's, it's good to remember what really moves you and inspires you before it becomes verified faith. I, I'll share with you for me a couple of things and then invite you to recall for yourself in your own practice. Now, I've shared this with, with a number of uh, people here. So um, yeah, for any, there's lots of people who've not done 
a retreat this month with with me before or with us before in this month, and then there's people who have. So um, I give myself a Dharma talk every time I'm I'm giving the talk. I'm giving myself. I'm remembering myself. So uh, if you've heard some of these uh, anecdotes before, then uh, that's beginner's mind. But every time I say this, it it reminds me of the grace that I found the Dharma somehow. You know, first reading Be Here Now, which kind of changed my life and said, oh, I'm not alone here. And there's something in all of my consciousness exploration that, that turned me towards, towards the Dharma. And I went out to uh, Naropa, in the first summer in 1974, because Ramdas was there. And I said, uh, what do you suggest for meditation? I've been doing transcendental meditation, as I said a little earlier. And uh, he said, there's this guy Goldstein. He's pretty good. You might check him out. And I went to Joseph's first class upon coming back from from India after being there for seven years, Essential Buddhism it was called. And I sat and I sat in the room first few minutes saying, well, this this is the this is the great guru. He didn't look very different from me. He sounded like he was from New York. I was from New York and didn't have any long flowing robes or a demeanor and he he didn't look very different from me but after about 10 minutes of just kind of judging the package I listened to what he was saying and he said it's really possible to not be run tormented by your neurotic thoughts that had never occurred to me as a possibility before but somehow, the way he said it, I just believed him. And before that class was over, I said, I'm going for it. And that was a turning point in my life. It's true, I'm going for it. And I had that very bright faith and it carried me for the next 10 years doing as many retreats as I could. I'd had my, my life, but it was really about in the middle of this process of deepening and deepening my practice. Because I had my own internal sufferings and confusions and didn't like myself very well. And, um, um, and I said, oh, this, this is a possibility. This is a real path I can follow. So before I go on, I just invite you for a moment to remember inside your own first bright faith what really inspired you. Maybe it was a friend or a talk that you heard or a book that you read. And remember how it touched you so deeply.
That's grace. Good karma, whatever you call it. Something deep inside was waiting to be remembered and it got awoken, at least a little glimpse of it then. And it's kept you going on your journey. And then that bright faith, that inspiration, becomes verified faith where you see for yourself, oh, this is really true. This is so. I I remember going in on my second retreat where I was going through a lot of different waves of doubt. And at some point, I... The doubt was removed. It was actually a little picture of Neem Karoli Baba from Be Here Now looking at me saying, oh, getting a little freaked out, aren't we here? Uh, The twinkle in his eye. And all of a sudden I kind of, the doubt broke and I couldn't wait to tell Joseph. Uh, But unfortunately the, the interview was the following day and I went through every different mind state possible from wow, I conquered doubt to, oh, I, I lost and I crashed and what's going on? And I was sleepy and then ex- excited. And I went into the interview and, and Joseph said, so how's it going? And I said, completely innocent and in somewhat exasperated tone saying, it's always changing. <laughs> and he said, that's it. I said, oh yeah, you do keep on saying that, don't you? Oh, it really is always changing. Ah, that was a a big hit of verified faith. And then that faith turns into what's called unshakable faith, where no one can take it away. You know for yourself you're on this path and it leads onward to, to deep freedom. And the faith is, or... Perhaps the word trust is better if the word faith triggers you. Trust, not that everything will work out, but trust, you can trust that your awareness can meet the moment when it comes. It always has and it always will if you can get quiet enough to bring wise awareness to the moment. So this is the first step, that having that faith or having that trust in the process gives you the inspiration to put in the energy that's required to do this practice. Virya, energy. And it's sometimes uh, spoken of as effort as well. And this is a very key issue in practice. Even if you've been practicing for many years. The question can easily come, oh, am I, am I being lazy here? Am I holding back? Or am I doing too much? I'm getting really tight. I'm really, um, this, is, this is not working. How much is, is enough? is just right. And especially you can hear different messages from different teachers. You know, there are some some teachers, I sat with a Burmese master that talked about heroic effort and just 
keep the jets turned on every moment, no slacking off, you know, every moment, note your experience. And if your leg is hurting and you feel like it's going to fall off, just note it falling, falling, <laughs> falling. You know. It's true. Uh, he didn't say it quite like that, but that was, that was the gist. And another great uh, Burmese uh, master lady, uh, Sayadaw, L-E-D-I, Sayadaw, uh, said, practice like your hair is on fire. And I know how to practice like that. That was how I, that was my mode the first few years, because I was on fire. But like anything, you can get out of balance in that way. And then there are other teachings that have a whole, the other end of the spectrum, simple and easy, Manindraji, one of my early teachers and Joseph's first teacher would say, simple and easy, empty phenomena rolling on, just settle back and let, let the phenomena just, just roll on. Or this is Utejaniya, another Burmese master who has a whole different way than, um, than the, the one that I just mentioned. Here's from his 23 points of, uh, 23 attitudes of practice. What is right attitude for meditation? Mm. When meditating, both the mind and the body should be comfortable. If the mind and the body are getting tired, something is wrong with the way you're practicing, and it's time to check the way you're meditating. The meditating mind should be relaxed and at peace. You cannot practice when the mind is tense. Don't focus too hard, don't control, neither force nor restrict yourself. Trying to create something is greed. Rejecting what is happening is aversion. Maybe one more. Don't have any expectations. Don't want anything. Don't be anxious because if these attitudes are in your mind, it becomes difficult to meditate. So there's the whole other spectrum, you know, heroic effort, noting, falling, falling, falling. Oh, just relax. Here's Here's the great Tibetan um, teaching, Gendon Rinpoche. I'll just read a little of it. He says, happiness cannot be found through great effort and willpower, but is already here in relaxation and letting go. Only our searching for happiness prevents us from seeing it. It's like a rainbow which you can run after without ever catching wanting to grasp the ungraspable, you exhaust yourself in vain. As soon as you relax this grasping, space is here, open, inviting, and comfortable. So you get different messages, right? You know, who, who's, the, who's the real master? Who knows the story here? They're both right. That's the beauty of it. Each has its value when practicing, and as I say, I know what it's like to just full on give myself over to practice, but 
the danger in that is you have to remember um, not to go overboard into striving and just and keep it light and spacious. Because otherwise it gets very tense and intense. But you don't want to be so laid back, well, if I'm mindful, I'm mindful, if I'm not, it's okay, whatever, it's, it's cool. No, that's not going to do it. Because it takes some commitment and mm, resolve to come here into the moment. That's what we're doing these first few days, to bring yourself back each time. That's the only thing that you can do and need to do. That's your end of the deal. Oh, gone, okay, come on back in a very loving way. And after a while, you start to be here more in the present. But once you're here in the present, any extra effort to make something happen, okay, I'm here now. Let me be more here. (laughs) No, that doesn't work. You can't be more here than already here. And that wanting to squeeze more out is the very thing that contracts and makes you confused and despairing. What am I supposed to do here? And so the Buddha talked about a balance of practice and a balance of effort. There's that famous um, anecdote of the the monk who was a monastic, uh, who was um, striving really hard and he was just getting all caught up and wound up and, and he went to the Buddha saying, this isn't working. And, and then the Buddha remembered, weren't you a musician before you took robes? He said, oh yes. What did you play? I played the lute. Ah, and what happened when you tightened the strings too much? Oh, the, the note was too high. And what about when the strings are too loose? Oh, it's too low. He said, just so, my friend. You don't want to be too tight. You don't want to be too loose. You want to get just the right pitch by just finding that balance between effort, sincere effort, and ease and openness and relaxation. I was on one retreat in these early days when I just was noting every moment and it was it was really it can get very invigorating and exciting but after a while i didn't realize how how i started to get tight and tight and tight and then i said whoa this is just this isn't what i'm supposed to be doing and i decided i was going to i was going to go for a walk an unmindful walk Okay. And at that point, I was just crawling around everywhere. right? And I felt like, I'm going to play hooky and go out for a fast, unmindful walk. Right? And I put on my, it was the first time I was out, like in about, in a few weeks, put on my galoshes and it was snowing. This is in New England, or my boots and my park and all. And I was going to just, the heck with this practice. And I, started walking down the the road, trying not to be mindful. 
left, right, left, right, sniffling, hearing, left, right, thinking, left, right. I couldn't turn it off. And it was so, so clear that the only thing that was getting in the way was my tightness. And as soon as I relaxed, there was that momentum of mindfulness that was there. I had just, it had been obscured by my over-efforting and striving. One thing about effort, uh, I'll say, is it's not uh, useful to equate your effort by what your practice looks like. You might have all kinds of ideas, oh, if I'm really doing practice, my mind is going to be clear, and I'm just going to note the in and out and notice the hair follicles in my nostrils and just swing in the breeze and oh, yeah, I'm really there. That's not necessarily what we're going for and it's not necessarily the best practice. Sometimes there's purification that happens and things that have needed to be allowed, feelings. Sometimes there's stages of deep fear or deep despair. And they are signs of, of deepening practice. But it's almost impossible to tell while you're in the middle of it what's going on. So let go of your report card. And instead of equating results with your skillful, wise effort, here's, the, for me, the key. Effort is about sincerity. It's about your own sincerity of heart. Am I showing up in the most skillful way now? Do I need to soften and relax? That will help me be here more. Do I need to renew my commitment because I'm getting a little bit you know, lazy around the edges? No right or wrong. It's just seeing what's called for. And the, the effort should be a, rela- a, a balanced, a relaxed, and alert effort. And the key is to just let yourself be interested. And to whatever extent you're able to, that's the right amount. Okay. Let me see if I can find my... Notes here. Go wrong. Okay. So the effort is the effort to be mindful. You've been hearing about mindfulness, haven't you? It's all about being present for your life. And the Buddha in the Satipatthana Sutta that this practice is all based on says very directly, there is one direct way, O monks, O practitioners, to overcome sorrow, lamentation, and grief, despair, pain, anxiety, 
and realize the highest possible happiness. And that is the establishment of mindfulness. Isn't that amazing? That he somehow discovered that? Mm-mm. Wait a second. Ah, here it is. That's all that you need to do is just bring a mindful attention to this moment. And there are many ways to be mindful. He talks about it in that discourse. There's mindfulness of the body. There's mindfulness of seeing the different flavors of experience, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. There's mindfulness of these mind states. And there's mindfulness of understanding how we can get caught and how we can become free. Lots of different ways. So many different instructions. And we might have an idea of, oh, this is, I'm being really mindful now. That wasn't quite as good. I was kind of, you know, feeling a lot of feelings and emotions instead of in, out. That's not it. That's why the Buddha said that any moment of mindfulness, or at least he was pointing to this, any moment of mindfulness is a liberating moment. And it doesn't matter what you're being mindful of. My good friend and and colleague, Carol Wilson, has a line that I... Uh, that I quote and love very simply, awareness doesn't care. Now, awareness cares. There's a caring quality to awareness, but it doesn't care what the object is. You know, in, out, sound, feeling, thought. Oh, thinking is happening. Different emotions Sadness, oh, it's sad Buddha right now. You know. Anger, here's angry Buddha. As the Buddha says, one, one knows a mind with restlessness is a mind with restlessness. A mind with lust, oh, and here is a mind with lust. A mind unsurpassed with concentration, a mind with concentration. So you're not trying to make anything happen Isn't that a relief? You don't have to make anything happen. Just show up for what's happening right now. And there's many ways to be mindful. You can sometimes think that the narrower the lens, the more subtle moments, the the better the practice, but that's not so. And so it's really seeing what lens, if you want to speak in a visual field, or what, what way to take in reality is best serving you right now. Is it looking with real care at the subtleties of experience? Is it opening up, you know, my, my um, note of last resort is confusion. When I have no idea what's going on, I'll just wrap it up into one big package and say, oh, confusion, that's what's happening. 
And I'm clear again. I might be clearly confused, but I'm clear about it. Oh, confusion, that's what's going on. And that moment is just as liberating and important as the fine tuning. Here's one thing that mindfulness is not, is figuring out. Be careful, especially when the word why comes. Why am I feeling this? Be careful. Why do I always get caught in, watch out for the word why, unless you say it in a way that makes you want to just look with curiosity without trying to come up with some conclusion, but why almost always spins the wheels. This is from a a yogi who wrote at the end of her first retreat. She kept on trying to figure things out and kept on saying to her, you don't have to figure it out. And she says, the one thing that's indelibly in my brain is finally getting you don't have to figure it out. That would never have registered as an option before. Just today, when I was doing walking meditation, struggling as my thoughts were going round and round, those words came into my mind, you don't have to figure it out. I stopped and closed my eyes and asked myself, what is true right now in this moment? And what was true was the rising and falling of my breath and various body sensations coming and going And I thought to myself, the rest will balance itself out in its own time. And I resumed my walking. What a revelation. You don't need to figure anything out. It's so simple. Just be with things as they are and let yourself be interested. That's the secret seeing everything with fresh eyes. And I, I'll share with you a, a poem you're probably familiar with, Mary Oliver's poem, Mindful. She wrote a poem about mindfulness. Every day I see or hear something that more or less kills me with delight, that leaves me like a needle in the haystack of light, It was what I was born for, to look, to listen, to lose myself inside this soft world, to instruct myself over and over in joy and acclamation. Nor am I talking about the exceptional, the fearful, the dreadful, the very extravagant, but of the ordinary the common, the very drab, the daily presentations. Oh, good scholar, I say to myself, how can you help but grow wise with such teachings as these, the untrimmable light of the world, the oceans shine, the prayers that are made out of grass? Just letting yourself be amazed by life. And that mindfulness, moments of mindfulness, build on each other 
to lead to the next faculty of concentration. Faith leading to energy and the effort to be mindful. And as those moments of mindfulness build, there's a momentum that's good to, that develops into a concentrated kind of mindfulness. So I'll say a few words about concentration. Here's where it's so easy to get into a striving mode. God, my mind is so all over the place. Come on here, I get focused. It's not going to work that way. Because concentration, as has been said a few times already, concentrated concentration is supported by a relaxed attitude. Because the the over-efforting and striving just contracts the mind and it it agitates it in the long run. It can work for a little while. You know, if you really get focused, it's kind of like I have that image of you ever, you know, there's a bottle top that you're trying to open. You just kind of, all right, I'm going to get it. And then you get it. Yeah. So you can focus for a little while and open that bottle top. But over the long run, the more you over-effort and try, the more um, it works against you and the mind gets very um, agitated and, and tired and fatigued. So the key is to have a, a non-striving attitude, a non-contracted attitude that's simply open and interested. That's the key to just become interested in your experience. Concentration, besides having that relaxed mm, uh, relationship with the moment, requires patience and commitment. And what you're doing is you're deepening the grooves of your attention. Um, Joseph uh, another one of his little tricks, I don't know if he says it these days, but he used to say it in the early days of practice. He had this, this little game he suggested to play, which I took on, full on, called NPMs, Noticings Per Minute. Just seeing how many moments in a minute I could be here. Okay. Now, you have to have a sense of humor when you do this because it can be very humbling. At the beginning, it's like, you know, oh, I was with three breaths that, that sitting. Okay. You do this over time and there's no, it's not a test. It's just like a little challenge to yourself. And I find personally that making it like a game is a very supportive um, attitude in practice. Because mm. otherwise it gets way too serious. 
So you're just kind of seeing, oh, let's see, how much can I be here? And concentration builds on those moments. And you, you have to be both wholehearted and light about this, the willingness to be here. And when you see you've gone, to bring yourself back. Like I said before, that's your end of the deal. No judgment at all. If you have any kind of judgment, you're just going to agitate the mind. But instead, feeling great, ah, I've been gone, I just woke up. Okay, come on back. And if you have that resolve to keep coming back to the moment, no matter what, just a gentle guiding back, after a while, like I say, for most people it takes usually around three days, and if it's not there, and if you haven't calmed down a little in three days, give yourself another few days. But you'll start to see, if you come back in a very kind, loving, patient way to the moment, every time you have an encounter with a wandering mind, your mind, it's like training a puppy, you all know that, uh, that image, just bringing it back each time, come on back with love. A few other supports for concentration. Keeping things really simple makes a big difference. We are so good at multitasking in this crazy life of ours. And I, I come from New York, so we, we're experts at multitasking. Yeah. How, many, how many balls can I keep in the, in the air or plates at the same time? Hey, that was pretty cool. Oops, that one fell. You keep it. Here's the challenge. Try unitasking. That's real practice. And whatever you're there, whatever is happening, wholeheartedly give yourself to that experience. And you have all the time in the world here, you know, yeah, there are times, oh, I've got to get to, to the mealtime or my job, or, oh, there's, the, there's that uh, BIPOC sit down there or coming up here. But mostly, you have all the time in the world to chew your food and taste it, to walk and feel this step, to sit and just sink into this moment and see what's here, which takes courage. That's a whole other side, to see what's here and be here for everything. But to take your time and just do one thing at a time. And in that, there's a kind of settling in and a, a spaciousness that you start to give yourself that allows you to see through the static and to cut through the confusion. So keeping it simple, resolving to come back whenever you realize you've gone, Continuity, you've probably all heard that word, but I want to just underscore it. 
Continuity is the key to concentration. That's the NPMs. So whatever you're doing, you make the whole day like a dance. It's not like, oh, we're meditating now that we're in the hall and sitting. Oh, and now I'm going to go out and do walking meditation. And, oh, and then we'll go, oh, I'll try to do eating meditation. No, there's sitting and walking and everything else. And if you can let particularly the transitions be as mm, sacred moments as sitting here in the hall and feeling your breath or whatever your object is, that's great practice. I was with this Burmese master who um, it was on a three-month retreat. This is in 1984. And he would give a talk each evening, an hour-long talk. And three nights in a row, he gave a talk about the practice of when the bell rings, getting up and going to do walking meditation. Three hours he talked on it. He was wanting to get us really refined in there. That moment is just as sacred a moment of life. Oh, tying my shoes. Not that you've got to crawl super slow, but just to be here and make it a seamless dance. You want to, again, be relaxed and go at a pace that is enjoyable for you, but just see how continuous you can be. For me, brushing my teeth. Ah, brushing teeth meditation. Showering is not an easy one, but uh, if you start to pay attention, now showering, I, I said, I'm going to figure this one out. And I would just be, you know, lathering the left arm and lathering the right arm. And, and now it's a, it's a, It's a fun part of retreat. Okay, let's see how present I can be for that. That's the key to concentration. That image that perhaps you've heard before of putting a kettle on the stove to boil the water for tea. If you keep taking it off every 30 seconds, no, it's not boiled yet. It's not going to cook. But if you leave it on, even if sometimes the flame is low and sometimes it's higher, it cooks. And so you don't have to have the high flame on all the time, but just a general level of commitment to, uh, to be present. And concentration, like everything else, comes and goes. And so it's not like you're gonna achieve some degree of concentration, just really stay there. Uh, it, when I was practicing with with that master, he would he would say, "Tell me your clearest sitting since 24 hours ago." You'd see him every day, and you know, out of a whole day of sitting, there's bound to be one or two relatively clear sittings. So I'd say, um, you know, I'd give the report. Well, I had this clear sitting, relatively clear. And I said. But you know, the others really weren't like that. I, f- I felt I was not being uh, you know, honest if I 
was seeming like I was there all the time. And I said that for like two or three days in a row and finally said, you don't have to tell me that, that extra part that you are. He knew. He knew. You can't maintain it. So concentration, like everything, comes and goes and comes and goes. And there's, but there's a, a slope of greater and ga- greater connection and clarity. <clears throat> And as you're going through the day, um, just notice why you're doing what you're doing. Intention to look, f- look at somebody or intention uh, to change your activity. Oh, is this going to support my practice? And as I say, interest is the key. Let yourself be interested. That's what absorption is about. You've heard of absorption states. We become so interested and absorbed that the mind becomes very focused. I, another game I play is I'm like a baby taking my first breaths. Mm. What is it like to breathe? Or sometimes I'll pretend I'm an alien coming into this human body. What's it like breathing for these guys? Mm-hmm. like you've never done it before. And that kind of interest, it begets itself and then the effort becomes effortless and there's that momentum of mindfulness which leads to the last of these factors, wisdom. Faith leading to energy, to mindfulness, to concentration, and a concentrated mindfulness leads to wisdom. With a concentrated mind, we can cut through our confusion and see clearly the nature of reality, see clearly our personal insights. This is insight meditation, and every now and then you say, oh, wow, look at that maybe about your own history or issue that was coming in your life, precisely because you're not trying to think your way through. And those do come, but the deeper level of wisdom is seeing some universal truths about reality. The three characteristics, I think they were mentioned here before, anicca, dukkha, and anatta, impermanence, unreliability, unsatisfactoriness, and the selfless nature of reality. And these cut through what are called the distortions, the vipalases of reality, taking what is impermanent to be permanent, that is, forgetting that everything passes, taking what is the source of suffering, grasping, to be a source of happiness, and taking what is a selfless nature of reality as some kind of fixed, solid entity. Now, you do exist. I was just reading a great article uh, is by uh, Tanisaro Bhikkhu, uh, 
where he said, you know, sometimes people say the Buddha said, oh, there is no self. He said, not. The Buddha didn't say there is no self. He just said, do not identify with this mind-body process of form, feeling, perception, mental formations, and consciousness. Do not take any of this as you. That there is that you have ownership of those things. They're your thoughts or your anger or your sensations. The I-making and the my-making is extra. There's just life flowing through you, moving through you. And to not identify with any aspect of this is where the real freedom is. Ah, anger arising. Sadness coming and going. Pain in the knee coming and going. Joy here and going. It's all just going and going and going. And when you see that you don't have to take ownership of any of it, there's no blame, there's no credit, Look at me. I'm a pretty good meditator now. It's just life expressing itself through you. What freedom that is. This is a poem I love from this poet I've discovered recently, a guy named Daniel Bayless. He says... You are but a collection of atoms working together in temporary harmony before being dispersed back into the universe. Your earthly task is to help those atoms radiate. Imagine the simplicity You need not achieve anything but gently glow. One more time. You are but a collection of atoms working together in temporary harmony before being dispersed back into the universe. Your earthly task is to help those atoms radiate. Imagine the simplicity. You need not achieve anything but gently glow. And that's what we are doing here. Just gently glowing with awareness, with presence, with love. And not only do we glow, but we transmit that energy to everyone in our lives. So this is the Five faculties, faith leading to energy, energy leading to mindfulness, deepening mindfulness leading to concentration, and concentration to liberating wisdom. That's what we're doing here. So let's just sit for a moment.
Thank you very much for your attention. So walking and coming back for last sit and some chanting. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.